Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. So our girls going away, our sons growing up. So what do we, you know, this could, this could have been our last summer, really. Because you know that, la- that summer before your freshman year of college is work and all those other things. And so this was, this was, we thought, our last summer to have a real shot at a family vacation, just us. So we went and spent a week in Washington, D.C. It was stinking cool. It was cool. It was tiring. We walked all over that place. Anybody, any of y'all been to D.C. before, spent some time there? Pretty cool, isn't it? You know, uh, I, they wouldn't let me touch it, but I was sure tempted to lean across the rail and touch the Wright Brothers plane. I'm just telling you. There are things like that in those museums. So we're in one museum, and, and they have this butterfly display, and the girls want to go in, and Caleb and I are going... Just butterflies. What's up with that? But we looked through this little spyglass window, and there was a moth. I'm not kidding you. That moth was this big. I said, I'll go in and see that dude. I'll go check him out. So we, we get in line, and we go, and they have like these airlocks. I'm telling you, it's, they open the door, and it whoosh, the wind's blowing, so that, and you, everybody steps in. There's 10 of us or so, and they close the door, and they inspect us all. And then they open the other one, whoosh, and we go in with the butterflies. And I found my big moth. That dude, I'm telling you, he was that big. And I was good. But not the girls. They were like, oh, did you see that one? Oh, it landed on me. Take a picture. Oh, there's one on my head. I mean, and Caleb got wore out fast. And by this time, he's sitting on the wall by the door going, okay, can we get out of here? But not the girls. I mean, they were milking it. Butterflies everywhere. Gosh. I got tired of butterflies, can I just say? Then finally they let us out of the, of the butterfly room, and we have to go through another airlock. Whoosh, the wind blowing on you as you walk in, and then they have to inspect you to make sure that there's no stowaways, that you're not tearing butterflies into the rest of the museum. And then you walk through the final door, and the wind's blowing across you whoosh, to make sure if you missed one, it blows back inside. They're trying to keep those dudes uh, close in this little situation. I was really processing and, 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 you know, I love some of the parables of Jesus. And I love the way Jesus used creation. I think that creation has so much depth to it. You know, Jesus took a mustard seed and he says, hey, the kingdom of God is like this. You know, he says, hey, the birds of the air, the... Everywhere he looked, there was always something. And as I walked out and I've reflected back on our butterfly experience, I realized that the butterflies are another picture of what God does in us and of his kingdom. There's really no creature on earth other than butterflies and, and that, that goes through a transformation in its life that is radical as the butterfly. You know, I know tadpoles go turn to frogs, but there's just nothing like an egg becoming a worm that eats who knows what that turns into this chrysalis 
and then becomes a flyer. Goes from being a crawler to a flyer. There's nothing else on earth that goes through that transformation. It's really pretty cool. Now, I know in today's society, when we think of transformers, at least this generation, they think of Optimus Prime and Bumblebee. And, you know, those are pretty cool. I've seen the movies. I'm not going to lie to you. That's cool. My daughter, her favorite verse is is, uh, out of Romans chapter uh, 12, verses 1 and 2, because it says transform, and she's got the little transformer hat. Um, But I think, I have to tell you, though there's no CGI involved, that the butterfly transformation is even cooler than the robots that transform. Because it's something that's real and tangible, and and it is the epitome of what God is really trying to do in us. It's it's really what he wants to do in us. So today, I I would love to talk to you about that. As I was thinking about it, I I was also reminded of of the prophet Isaiah. If you're you're not familiar with your your Bible, in the the Old Testament, there's all these prophets, and one of them's name was Isaiah. And so Isaiah wrote, he said this. He wrote this down. He said that those who wait on God get fresh strength. That's good enough right there. But he doesn't stop there. And he says they spread their wings and they soar like eagles. They run and they don't get tired. They walk and they don't lag behind. Man, the idea that God has given us an example of something that goes from a crawler to a flyer. Paired with a verse like this says that maybe that's the same plan God has for me. And he has for you. That he wants to transform us. To someone that soars above the trials of life. He wants to move us in that direction. So as, as we think about this, I was really thinking, okay, Lord, where's transformation? Talk to me about transformation in the Bible. And you, if you read your Bible, you'll find that there's transformation all throughout it. People's lives are changed. There may not be anyone, though, that's as radically transformed as the guy we know as the Apostle Paul. I mean, this dude, you may remember that this guy hated Christians. How bad did he hate Christians? The first time we ever meet him in the Bible, there's a bunch of guys stoning a Christian to death and he's holding their coats so they can, so they got plenty of room to throw hard. He's, he's sitting there going, I, I got that, I'll take that so you don't, I don't want you to mess up your new coat. Go over there and take care of business, I'll hold it for you. He's supporting them. Then the next time we see him in Scripture, he's asked for arrest warrants for every Christian he finds so he can get them thrown in prison. And hopefully, they'll die there. I mean, that's pretty serious business. That's pretty serious business. And that's the guy that, that actually ends up writing the majority of the New Testament. So if we, looked at, if we catch up with his story, if you were to re, be in your Bibles and look at Acts chapter 9... We pick up his story, and it says this. When he got to the outskirts of Damascus, he was on the way to arrest a bunch of Christians. He says that he was suddenly dazed by a blinding flash of light, and as he fell to the ground, he heard the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, you may be confused if you're not real familiar with your Bible. Cause you, you heard me right when I said Paul. The guy changes his name. In a little while, he'll change his name from Saul to Paul. So you can call him Paul, you can call him Saul, you can call him Saul Paul. I don't care. He's the same guy. But Saul Paul, 
says, who are you? Who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're hunting down. I'm, I want you to get up and enter the city, and in the city you'll be told what to do next. Butterfly's transformation, it begins with an egg. You know, what is an egg? It's a seed. What is an egg? How is an egg produced? It's really the intimate production that begins with an encounter with the Creator. Whether it's a chicken egg, butterfly egg, or what God is doing. It begins with an intimate encounter. What we would say for Christians, it begins with a spiritual encounter. If we want to soar, if we want to have soaring transformation in our lives, then it all begins with a spiritual encounter. I first encountered Christ, my very first encounter with Christ. I was eight years old. That was the day that it first came alive in me. That was the day that something happened in me. Transformation always includes a spiritual encounter with your Creator. It always does. That's what it's about. That that was true when I first met Christ. It was actually true when Pastor Billy first met Christ. It was true for Saul Paul. Now I have to tell you that most first encounters with Christ, they're all radical for us. I can tell you it was radical for me. Now, they may not be as physically radical as what Paul experienced. You know, a blinding light, knocked off your horse, that kind of thing. It doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't do that still. As a matter of fact, if you wanted to read the story of someone who is a modern-day person that had a similar experience, you could find, look up the October 22nd, let me make sure I get it right, 2013 issue of Christianity Today. And there's a lady in there that wrote a story for them. She was an avowed atheist. She was not, she thought Christians were stupid and unintellectual. Thought they were fools. You would, some of you will know her because her name's Kirsten Powers because she was, she's a Fox News correspondent. She does on their talk shows. But let me tell you what happened. In, she was in Taiwan on a trip in a hotel room, and at night she says, Jesus met me there, I saw him, and he said, here am I. He still does those things. He still does it. Now for me, was it that radical? My first encounter with Jesus was in this little Baptist church back in 1977 on the coast, on the southeast, you know, down near the southeast uh, corner of Texas. And I didn't see him, but it was just as radical for me because it was an encounter with my Creator. It was an encounter. Now, let me, let me clarify something. I am not telling you that Christianity and walking and being transformed into the image of Christ, that it happens with one encounter. There is an encounter that starts the process. But I have to tell you that it is multiple encounters that actually makes the long-term change. If you just read the New Testament, you'll find that Paul 
actually has at least 11 clearly recorded encounters with the Lord. Some are with the Holy Spirit. Some the Lord talks to him. Some it's angels. Some it's visions. Sometimes he meets Jesus face to face just like he did in that first story. It's just the way it goes. You have to have encounters with Christ. Now I'm going to tell you what the second piece of, of, of transformation is. If I've had an encounter with Christ, the second thing I know about transformation is that it always requires others. It requires others. If we go back to, to our, our story of, of Saul Paul, it says this. <clears throat> His companions stood up and were drumstruck. So there were guys with him. They could hear the sound, but they couldn't see anyone. While Paul, picking himself up off the ground, found himself stone blind, they had to take him by the hand and lead him into the Damascus. He continued there blind for three days. He ate nothing. He drank nothing. Now, between this piece and what what we're going to read on the next screen is is an interaction, another supernatural encounter of Jesus with a guy named Ananias. Ananias had heard about Paul. He said, that dude's coming to arrest us. And Jesus said, go find him. He said, no, I ain't going to go find him. Yes, go find him. No, I'm not going to find him. Yes, I'll go find him. And Ananias finally gives in, and this is what happened. He says, so Ananias went and found the house, placed his hands on the blind Saul, and said, Brother Saul, the master sent me. The master. Boy, that right there is good. The same Jesus that you saw on your way here, he sent me so you could see again and be filled with the Spirit. Second encounter for Paul with the Creator. Because it says, No sooner were the words out of his mouth than something like scales fell off his eyes and he could see again. A second encounter. He could see again. He got to his feet, was baptized, and sat down with with them. If we were on a circle, we'd say them to a hearty meal. And then it says Saul spent a few days getting acquainted with the Damascus disciples. Relationships are key to transformation. They are key to what it is. And Ananias heard from the Lord on Saul's behalf. Can I ask you, who's hearing for the Lord on your behalf? Who are you hearing for the, from the Lord for on their behalf? Ananias prayed for him. Who's praying for you? And who are you praying for? He spent time getting to know the disciples. He spent time hanging out with the other disciples. Matter of fact, if you read this story on, it says that the Jews get, later on, they get so mad they're trying to kill him. And these same friends of his, they actually let him over the city walls in a basket so that he doesn't get killed. They protected him. So who's protecting you? And who are you protecting? We're not in this alone. Paul believed in this so much that he later says that he writes later on in the New Testament, he he says that we're supposed to bear each other's burdens. The English poet John Donne wrote, No man is an island unto himself. We cannot, we are not in this alone. Two of the metaphors you find that people use about about us as Christians, they call us the family of God and they call us the body of Christ. What's the, what is the common theme of those two metaphors? It's very simply that it's multiple pieces coming together to make something better, to make something bigger. 
to make something stronger. You cannot be fully transformed into everything that Jesus wants you to be standing alone. Now, when I was in high school, I mean college, I, I, you know, if you're going to get a degree, they require you to take psychology classes. I have to, I have to shamefully admit now that, some, that those classes actually were much more beneficial than I previously thought they would be. Oh, whoa, now that, wasn't, that, that was not, I'm not sure I want to amen on that because I'm still, I'm still fleshing that out. I call it, for my whole life, I've called it stupid psychobabble. But then my wife keeps saying, but you work with people, maybe you ought to understand them. So now looking back, I understand that my psychology classes were more helpful than I gave them credit for and wanted to give them credit for. But in my psychobabble classes, <clears throat> they told the story, uh, they would talk about developmental studies in children and in people. And, they t- and I, I remember reading about one that happened in the 1940s and 50s in a European orphanage where they took infants and they broke them into two groups to study them. They had the group that they only touched when they fed them and when they changed their diaper. Then they had the other group that they loved on, they played with, they held when they cried, they took care of. It's interesting that that group that wasn't touched was sick, didn't grow normally, stayed small and now malnourished, not being in community, not being with others, not being loved, actually had a negative effect on their development. Guess what? If you isolate yourself as a believer, it will negatively affect your development. It will negatively affect that. You know, we have to be together. He maybe... Maybe that's why the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament wrote this. He said, let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging, loving, and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on. The Lord knows we need to engage in relationships. Matter of fact, it's interesting. If you you really read the New Testament you'll find that Jesus believed this because other than when he was personally in prayer and at the cross, he, didn't, he was not alone. The Apostle Paul, from this moment on, we never have record of him being alone. He was, it was Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, it was Paul and Timothy, it was Paul and Luke. They, they understood that living it out and being fully transformed into everything that God wants us to be required being with others, required engaging. Now, can I tell you something? I noticed in your bulletin, and Pastor made an announcement today about small groups. That's about getting together and being with others so that I can be fully transformed into everything that God wants me to be. Now, if you don't, now, also, if you're a visitor today, can I say to you, if you're a visitor and you don't have a community of believers that you call your own, a, a place where you're connected to others in the body of Christ, may I recommend this one? Man, this is a good place. These are great people. And if you call this your church, you know, I, I challenge you to say, am I engaging others? 
Are you the one that's the last one in the door on Sunday morning, the first one out? Are you avoiding contact with others? You cannot become all that God wants you to be standing out there alone. You can't be all that God designed you to be. You can't soar by yourself. Transformation is also it's the process of advancing. If we're going to be transformed into Christ, what Christ has designed us to be, to do, we must advance. There comes a time in the, with a caterpillar when being a caterpillar is just not enough. And they start, they go into the chrysalis stage. They do something they've never done before. Now, Rachel's sister had this, I don't want to call it evil, but she, you know, you wonder when you're, we're, we're, Rachel's the oldest, and her younger sister, we had kids ahead of them, you know, and so for birthdays, they would send us these science project birthday gifts for the kids. Always worked for us. We got the ladybugs. I, you know, I don't even want to start. One of the things we got was the, um, was the painted lady butterflies one year. They come in the mail. Anybody get the painted lady butterflies in the mail before? Oh, you, come on. You know what I'm You're feeling me now. I, I'm getting it here. So you get the painted lady butterfly, and guess what? They cut, there's these eggs attached to this little white thing. And you put the eggs out there, and when they start hatching, they, they send you this sludge. It's a brown sludge. And the, and the, butterfly, uh, the, the caterpillars hatch, and they crawl around, and they just eat the sludge. And I'm telling you, my wife is kind of a germ, not maybe not as big a germaphobe as you, but she's... I, I, yeah, okay, we won't go there. <laughs> but I'm telling you, she's watching this. She's saying, that's nasty. And those butterflies, those caterpillars, they just crawl around and they eat it and they eat it. And then one day they crawl back up on the little white thing. And the next thing you see is there's little chrysalises hanging upside down because they did something they've never done before to advance and become all that they had designed to be. They had to do something they've never done before. They had to identify a different behavior is what it took. Cat, you know, the word advance means to move, for, move or to go forward. A cat, that caterpillar could have stayed a caterpillar, but it was designed to fly. You can stay where you are but that's not what God has designed you for. That's what, not what God has designed you for. You know, if, if I have one encounter with God, if we have just one or more encounters with God, that's good. If we hang out with others and, and other believers, that's great. But can I tell you, transformation takes more than just an encounter with Jesus, more than just hanging out with believers. It takes a shift. It, ha- it takes a change. In what we are. It takes us doing something different. The butterfly teaches us that the transformation process requires us to do something different. See, that caterpillar had to stop eating 
to build a chrysalis. You know, can I just be real honest with you? Change is inevitable, guys. Change is part of life. It's just something that happens. This church changes every time somebody new comes in the door. And it changes every time somebody goes out the door. Just what happens. So last night, we drive up to the hotel, and there's a pickup truck pulling a trailer, and on the trailer is a Model T truck. It was pretty cool. I mean, it was restored. It It was pretty sweet looking. But can I tell you, the reason it's on the trailer is because its time has passed. Because it doesn't go fast enough to ride on our freeways. It doesn't have air conditioning. Doesn't even use the same fuel that we burn today. Because its time had passed. We can hold on to those things and not be transformed and advance. Or we can decide that there's a new behavior and there's something different that I have to do. So in Romans, the Apostle Paul wrote this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How would you like a life that's good and pleasing and perfect? Well, it requires that we let God change the way we think. That's what it requires. So, let's, let's kind of think this through. The Lord created every one of us with something specific and untapped, just like the caterpillar. The caterpillar was designed to be a butterfly, but it had to be changed. It had to be unlocked. The same is true for you. Now, the basic level of learning and figuring out what that advancement looks like is being here on Sunday. It's just being here, letting Pastor Billy, letting Pastor April, letting this team pour into you. That's the first level. Matter of fact, can I tell you that that there's some of you here that you're workaholics and you struggle with that and it hurts you, it hurts your family. Well, Pastor Billy's going to start a series on rest next week and it might benefit some of you to learn the value of rest, to learn the scriptural basis for rest and learn how to rest. I've been through that struggle. Matter of fact, there are days I still struggle with resting well because I struggle with workaholic tendencies. And I know I'm not the only one in here that does that. So being here is the first level. Being, but, but you know what? There's more to that because maybe the next, time, the next step might be the small group. Might be Wednesday night. Might be Sunday school. Because identifying the new behaviors come from different sources. Hey, guess what? Might even mean reading the Bible on your own and spending time personally with God and developing new places to encounter Him. It looks like so many different things. But here's what I can tell you. One of the most brilliant men to ever live on the earth was Albert Einstein. And Einstein said this, Direct quote from him. Insanity is continuing to do the same thing and expecting a different result. As Christians, sometimes, as people who are seeking God even and haven't made the step into Christianity, 
Sometimes we live a cycle of insanity because we just continue to do what we've done and expect transformation and change to come. We expect different results without advancing our behavior, without making a shift in who we are, without saying, I'm tired of being a caterpillar, I want to fly, that means I have to go through a chrysalis. I have to do something I've never done before. Now, when that butterfly comes out, the last thing we learn in this transformation stage is that there's a proper reaction on the other side of the transformation. If I'm going to have a soaring transformation in my life, then I have to react the right way. So Liz's little butterflies that we got in the mail that started out as eggs and ate that slimy stuff and ended up on the little thing as a chrysalis, one day they came out as a painted lady butterfly. Now the first thing those little butterflies did is they sat there and they just moved their wings real slow like this. Now scientists tell us they're drying their wings. That's, I'm sure that's true, but you know what's really cool is? That's the first time in their life they've ever moved their wings. They just did it. Now, after moving the wings, they have a choice. Do they continue to do what they had been doing before being transformed into a butterfly and just crawl around on the leaves and try and be a caterpillar again, or do they launch and fly? It's in the flight that we know that they've become what they were supposed to become. That's when we know the transformation is complete in them, is when they take off. So let's look back at our story in Acts chapter 9 of the Apostle Paul. But, when, but then... It says he went right to work, wasting no time, preaching in the meeting places that this Jesus was the Son of God. And then they were caught off guard by this, not at all sure that they could trust him. They kept saying, isn't this the man who wreaked havoc in Jerusalem among the believers? And didn't he come here to do the same thing, arrest us and drag us off to jail in Jerusalem for sentencing by the high priests? Paul's reaction to his spiritual encounter, his time with others, and his choice to do something different, the world saw it, and it proved to himself and to those watching that transformation had taken place. The butterfly flew, and everybody said, yeah, it really is a butterfly. It's not a fake. It was in the flight in that moment. What we do proves if transformation has taken place. What we do is actually the final piece of transformation. Because until we do it, we don't even know that we can. We're not sure that we can. There's always that moment of doubt. My mom used to always say to me, the proof's in the pudding. Now that may be just that. I know some of y'all had that, heard that one before. Can I tell you? When we reveal what God has done in us to the world, it confirms the transformation in our life. You know, in Hollywood and in politics right now, it's very popular to say, well, my faith is a private faith. I don't want to talk about that. I mean, hey, we're fixing to get into election season again. They're, gonna, they're, all, getting, they're all getting wound up to, to run for the White House. And, and you know, we're going to hear, well, my faith is a private faith. Can I tell you something? 
private faith is no faith. We live what we believe. The porn addict lives that. The drug addict lives that. The alcoholic lives that. The person who loves money and is greedy lives that. We live what we believe. We live where we put our faith. Private faith is really no faith. Matter of fact, Jesus' brother, James, wrote about this. He said this. He said, you can show more, you, sorry, you can no more show, show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith fit together like hand in glove. What a great picture. He goes on and says, the very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works and you get the same thing. If transformation is taking place, there is a reaction. There's a response that says, I believe this. I've decided this. Now I actually have to do something with that thing. Let me, let me shrink it down for you. Here it is. A spiritual encounter, time with other Christians, and an intentional work to advance your faith. Those things will transform you. Those things. Now today I look across the room and I realize that people are at different stages of faith. People are at different stages of development. <clears throat> you know, I would expect that in a room with this many people, there's probably some of you that have, you really haven't had that initial experience, that initial true spiritual encounter where like we sang earlier, I'm going to give my life to you. Everybody's got to have that one. I had one. Pastor Billy had one. Paul had one. Kirsten Powers had one. Now some people have that experience and then over time they drift away and they choose to not but they're, they're searching for that secondary experience that will pull them back to center. That, you may be here on that searching place in one of those two places searching for a spiritual encounter that pulls you back. Now some of you are past that point and you're, you know, you're at a place where you've had some spiritual encounters but for some reason the engaging of others has been a difficult thing for you. See, you need to understand there's four pieces and if one piece is missing then your transformation is stalled. Whether it's encounters with Christ or it's engaging others or it's learning the new thing I have to do and finally doing the thing I learned that I have to do. But it's those four things that ensure transformation. We saw it in the life of Paul. We see it in Scripture I tell you that being transformed is not an option. We will be transformed, all of us, into something. I'm going to encounter someone. I'm going to encounter Jesus or I'm going to choose not, not to encounter Jesus. I'm going to choose to be with people who are believe, others who are believers or I'm going to choose to be with others who are not. 
going to choose to learn a behavior that moves, transforms me more into what Christ would have me be, or I'm going to choose to learn a behavior that turns me into whatever this I'm hanging out with is. I'm going to be transformed. But what I'm transformed into is a choice that I get to make. It's a choice I get to make. Let me get, let, let's go back into Romans. Let me read you a, one final passage of Scripture. <clears throat> this is that, we, I, read the, I read the second half of this, and we're going to read it again, but this is where it begins. Paul wrote this, and it's in a little different translation, so it's not going to have the word transform in it. He says, take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. He says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. Develops well-formed maturity in you. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street, Burt Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the river.